Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Valley Church podcast. Our hope is that what you hear encourages your faith in the way of Jesus and inspires you to participate in what God is up to in the world. God bless. All right, today we are talking about life together. John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The top five largest churches in the U.S. have between 30 and 85,000 participants each Sunday. That's online, in person, satellite campuses that just stream the, you know, you gather together and you watch the service that's happening someplace else. And even the metaverse, right? Like you can go to church in the metaverse right now. A cursory glance at the history of the megachurch movement shows a congruent rise with modern individualism in the U.S. through much of the 19th and 20th century. As humans moved more and more of, from farms and to the cities during the middle 19th century, uh, about, they say somewhere between the late 19th century and early 20th century, about 25 or so million people moved in America from the countryside, the, the agricultural land to the cities, which is almost a quarter of the population at the time, moved to the cities. As people became more accustomed to life in or near the city, the rise of mass technology, the first radio, and then the television, we had the beginnings of marketing being born of war propaganda specialists. You can do a lot of research on that, right? Uh, Bernay, you can just look up Bernay. Uh, turned Madison Avenue consultants... These are the guys who went from being war propaganda specialists to marketing specialists. We see a move away from the definition of the good life as one intimately connected to the relationships that have gone before you, are with you, and will come from you in the form of children, in one in which your success was bound to the success of the community that you belonged to. We see a move from that to the good life defined by an individual who is imagined to have leverage and smooth surface ability to glide through life with all efficiency of modern technology and personal preference available. Free from the burdens of responsibility and provision for others, the postmodern individual is formed by the message that what matters most is you. Your thoughts, your opinions, your selfies, your preferences, your feelings, your politics, your style, all threats to your personal expression and ability to manifest your best life. 
and your self-curated, self-legislated, self-justified identity, all threats to that should be traced back to the faults of the church universal and religion in general, or any perceived restriction that has come from an institution. All of these are threats to your individual expression. What happens when churches begin to shift away in this era from a community-centered place of gathering with neighbors and coworkers and family to connect in communion after a full week of life together? And they instead become meeting centers for those who transport themselves from across town to meet in industrial park areas to get fed something for their personal relationship with Jesus. We go from scandal to scandal. Pastors with personal jets and brand name churches that programmatically provide individual seekers with what will entertain and attract them most. A therapeutic Jesus who soothes all their inner problems that are keeping them from thriving. We move from a gospel focused on others to a self-affirming gospel with customer service pastors. Mix in a, a, a bit of politics to appeal to the Christian left and the Christian right. And what you have is an American Christianity that looks more like a quasi-religious nationalism combined with a deep consumer individualism for personal preference riddled with corporate corruption. Happy Sunday, everybody. Uh, trust in the church and ministers and Christians continues to wane, especially among young people today. A recent Gallup study revealed that the percentage of Americans who have, quote, a great deal or, quote, a quite a lot of confidence in, in the church or organized religion is at an all-time low. Just 36% of Americans have a high level of confidence, a far cry from the 68% in 1975. The point is this. Jesus chose to define the church not by the preference of the individual being served or catered to, but by focusing one's attention on love for God and others and seeking the good and the interest of others in love. The inescapable connectedness of belonging to others in Christ is at the very foundation of the redemption story of an isolated world. This is what he said would define, validate, and preach his discipleship to a world longing for new creation. He both models it and commands it. You see, the command to love one another in verse 34, as he loved them, we often kind of think of that as just separate and floating out in the, in the scriptural universe somewhere. And we just try to define love as all the things that Jesus has done. And that's not wrong necessarily, but John isn't doing that in that passage. He, this is the same conversation as when he gets down on his hands and knees and washes their feet. By humbling himself, in self-offering love to those around him, he then says, love one another as I have just loved you. In Matthew and in Mark, we see him teaching his disciples that the greatest among you will be your servant. Matthew 23. This kind of posture and practice of humility and other focusedness, it flies in the face of modern, the modern success story. Uh, according to Forbes, 50 million people around the world have gained a following 
simply from social media platforms and are now considered, quote, influencers. Social science is increasingly looking into the effects of the rise of influencer culture born of social media, where all, where we all, we all, if, if you have a page on something, right, we all have kind of a self-promotion page to the global community at this point. It's a new, you know, thing that's happened in humanity. Nobody had that. Its effects on our ability to relate and empathize are all being studied to feel safe and secure in our bodies and our humanity, even when it doesn't look like the filter, right? And the anxiety-inducing effects of that constant measuring that come from following other people online and trying to measure yourself against them. One study I read this week said that Americans check their phones on average 144 times a day. That's up 10% from last year. So, and now that's an average, right? So take all the, you know, phone users that are, you know, maybe of the older generation that are checking your phone once a week, right? Or one, sometimes I'm reaching out to some family members. And I'm like, I don't know. They might not get back to me for a day or something, right? <laughs> and then the comparison of like the 15-year-olds that are checking their phones a thousand times a day, right? Like somewhere in that average is 144 times a day. We are becoming increasingly disembodied individually and compartmentalized in our identities. And the crushing weight of finding a life of meaning and purpose in all the inexhaustible options of a Google search age is driving anxiety and depression and self-harm up. Jesus is inviting us into an integrated faith that yes, is both personal and private and, and intimately connected to our Savior, but is also public in its expression and practice. One that is congruent with more than just our time together on Sunday morning, but with all of our lives, with our finances and our parenting and our marriage and our vocations and our relationships, all informed by training to be more like Jesus, and to practice his kingdom of heaven come to earth. Rather than our faith being a single strand of fabric that stands out from all the others, our faith is meant to be woven together in all aspects of our lives, with the starting place being our relationship to the Father in Christ and our love for one another. This kind of formation that counters the world's formation has to be intentionally engaged with, though. And this is why Jesus offers a command. Because you can choose to obey or not to obey a command. And so he's actually placing the ownership of this formation, not just on him and the work of the Holy Spirit. I think, as Rich said, God's going to do the heavy lifting in that process. But he's inviting us to obey or to choose not to obey the invitation to that kind of formation. This kind of formation that counters the world's formation has to be intentional, though. Mm -hmm. Being more loving won't come naturally in a world that promotes self-love as the highest love. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that learning to love yourself and accept yourself is wrong. It's actually a good thing, I think. But I am claiming that unless you understand the grace of God, and what Jesus is offering you in your life, you won't really know how to love yourself correctly. 
Being more generous won't come naturally in a world that is catered to the preference of the self and the, dissol and the dissolving of all disruption or discomfort that comes in the way of getting what we want right now. How do you do when your internet goes out for 10 minutes? Being more forgiving and gracious won't come from cancel culture, identity politics, and competition with our neighbor. This kind of formation, a training that goes against the active shaping of the world will only come from surrendering our definitions of the good life, our definitions of love, our definitions of church, our definitions of following Jesus to Jesus himself and accepting his invitation to be trained by him. Are you with me right there? We must accept and apply that invitation to be those who are blessed because we do those kind of things that Jesus did, not just agree with those things that Jesus taught. We must actually be those who do what he calls us to do. And what he is calling us and his followers to do in the gospel of John is to love and serve others well, to humble ourselves, to make others greater. Jesus chose a small group of people, 12 in all, it whittled down to 11 after that night, who he intentionally fostered that kind of love and commitment with through service and humility and grace and truth and hospitality and generosity. And it would be actually an even smaller group of people that would stick with him and bear with him in his cross those who would stand by him and pray and offer presents and tears as he suffered. God has always worked through small groups of people more than crowds, and I believe he intends to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. Many of you know that uh, my wife's father died recently, and it was, it was the small acts of flowers or food or a card or a hug that made the difference, made an impact on our family. But beyond moments of, of grief and great loss, it's the everyday moments of just thinking of others that Jesus is talking about as well. Uh, for the last 10 months, Rachel and I, it's a little bit of a scandal here, we haven't been part of a small group in the church moving. I know, I know, I know. Not because we're above it, but we just, we just didn't, we got in late. Um, but the staff has become more of our small group. We meet with them weekly, and we spend time with them weekly throughout, uh, throughout the week. And, you know, it's the times when Kathy brings treats for our kids, uh, when we're just meeting with the Heatons for some time, and she, she thinks of our children when she comes over. Uh, it's the, the lending of a hand around the house and the projects. Many of you have helped with little projects around, but, but Charlie has uh, also helped me quite a bit in our discipling times with projects around the house. And we're talking and we're sharing life, and he's helping me tear out old rug and paint and do all kinds of things. Uh, when Rachel was in Mexico visiting her dad before he passed, Jamie came by. I had just the boys, and Jamie came by with... Uh, a, he, he just bought one of everything on the menu at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> And then came by and did a blindfolded test, taste test with the boys and like a little contest with them. Just thinking about our family, spent 20 minutes, dropped in, spent 20 minutes, made their day. I uh, think about my parents being, you know, I keep telling people living close to my parents is like a part of the compensation package. Just the level of support and love that comes from, from them for our, for our family, for our kids. It's amazing. It's all God's grace. Mm -hmm. To be served by others this way, I don't deserve it. Nobody owes me anything. 
I can't earn that kind of love, but that's grace. It's unmerited favor. Peter says, 1 Peter 4.10, right? Whatever you have, give it to others. And in that way, you display, you participate, and you help them experience the grace of God. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but oh, I'm getting what I don't deserve in love from others around me. Appreciate Michelle Johnston and Michelle Connor and Dave Silva and Thomasina. We were eat, we came back from a quick vacation this week and we had no food when we got home, but we had Thomasina's food when we got home, and we were like, "Thank God for Thomasina." We're eating her food is so delicious, and so many others who have loved us well. And I want to continue to learn from them and from others how to love that way myself, to love without the expectations of reciprocation right? Or applause. I want to learn to better take notice and give my attention and host well with my attention, my ears and my eyes and my listening to be generous in prayers for others. I'm constantly though fighting the parts of me that have been shaped by the self-serving, self-centered, self-determining culture that I live in. That wants it my way. That wants just to think about the things that are important to me that just wants what's convenient to me. It's, it's there. It's always there because I've been shaped by a rule of life that I live in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I need to be more like Jesus, and therefore I need to practice the way of Jesus intentionally. And what did Jesus do? He did this with a small group of people. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. All right. You know, we see in the book of Acts, the Christians meeting in the temple courts and in their home. Church happens in large gatherings like this. We all gather together, like the one we have here. We meet on this in midweeks at times. It happens in this kind of a temple court setting, but it also happens in, in their homes in the book of Acts, around a dinner table, church around a table. Right? And, and I know there's some controversy there. Should we follow the exact pattern of the early Christians? I, don't, I think culturally there's some flexibility within Christianity, a lot of flexibility within Christianity. And I don't think that we would want to follow every pattern of the first century Jews that first adopted Christianity or the way of Jesus. Are you with me right there? But man, can we learn from them about how to prioritize, how to value? Absolutely. And we need to. And we need to keep looking to them. And one of the ways they did that was just gathering in small groups of people to share life together. In fact, much of the New Testament commands, the one another commands, aren't for a setting like this. They're not for the temple court kind of a setting. They're for the setting when you have to forgive and bear with and encourage and love the person who didn't bring food to the meal that day. Is sitting across a table from you. The master and maybe you're the slave. Are you with me right there? It's those one another relationships that happen, not in a big group where you can kind of get lost in the sauce and, hey, brother, give a hug over here and over there and not have to really engage that person too much, but actually around the table when there's only seven of you and you're like, ooh, I have an attitude with this person. That's those one another relationships. That's how they're supposed to be. Those commands are supposed to be lived out in that kind of a setting. We are preparing for a small group season to kick off here in our church. Uh, in September. And what's on the line is not great programming. It's not great events or even good teaching. I'm sure there'll be great teaching in the small groups, but that's not what's on the line. What's on the line is the sustainability of our church in the future. 
the actual fabric that holds us together, the very fabric, the very essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is on the line because what it means is to love one another. We want to be a church through small groups. If I can get that. Oh, I turned my thing off on purpose. Sorry. We want to be a church through small groups, not a church with small groups. What do I mean by that? These are not, our small groups are not programs. They're, they're not about the subjects that are getting covered. There's going to be some great topics, great study, great things that are, but they're actually about the backbone of the Christian community, which is relationships. And if you're a guest, by the way, you're welcome to join and be a part of those small groups. We're going to have signups this, this, uh, this afternoon. But, but those times, Sunday, this gathering is more of a celebration of the life together we have throughout the week. Are you with me right there? We, this, is, this is not the primary environment in which we foster community. It's, a, it's an incredible one. It's a great, I hope you're encouraged to come and take the Lord's Supper with other Christians each week, right? As you should. But this is not the primary space where you will be formed into the way of Jesus. It's going to happen in small groups of disciples that live life together. It's going to be in the one another relationships practiced throughout the week. This is the celebration of the week we've had together. And hopefully it is that for you as well. The temple court gatherings are important and the body of Christ on display in a large group is valuable. Um, but, but this is the DNA of Christianity. It happens in small groups of disciples. You know, Jesus takes on a feet-washing posture. He lowers himself to the position of a feet washer. Now, if you were in a first century Palestine and you didn't have running sewage outside and everybody was barefoot wearing sandals and dirt roads with horses and all that stuff, guess how the feet are looking when you come in? Not great, right? Um, The person who washed the feet when you walked into a home, they were like invisible people. They were the lowest of the low. You didn't even look them in the eye. You just kind of stuck your foot out for him to take care of you while you went into the house. Jesus lowers himself to that position amongst a small group of disciples and says, now you, if you love one another that way, you're blessed. Make sure you get in between the toes. Uh, Some of us, we're, we're not great at having a feet washing posture. And, uh, you know, some of us have gone through these little practices where people break out a basin and they wash somebody's feet at church or something like that. You ever seen that happen? Oh, that makes me nervous. Please don't ever do that to me. You can, you can take me out to a cup of coffee or help me with a project at the house. Don't touch my feet, right? But, but, but the, the, the idea is that, that we, we, we actively, we, we intentionally, we go, hey, we want to lower ourselves before one another and serve one another. And we do that in all, what would that look like today? It's probably not going to look like washing each other's feet, but it may look like putting down your phone for the hour or the hour and a half that you're with somebody and just offering your attention. Being fully present in the moment to be with them, to give to them, to follow up with them with prayer and encouragement throughout the week. It may look like coming into a group of disciples and intentionally thinking about, I want to encourage and build up these people this week. And next week, I'm going to do these people. And then I'm going to keep going. Because I'm intentionally looking to 
lift others up. And many other things that you'll come up with on your own, but we have to have this posture of Jesus if we intend to become like Jesus and if we intend to be formed in a way that is stronger than that of the modern Christian individual. We have 18 small groups so far, and there's more coming. We have 22 new small group leaders that weren't leading last year. So if you're leading a small group, new or, or returning, can you just stand up for a second? Yeah. These are, thank you, thank you. Um, if you could just remain standing for the rest of my sermon, that'd be great. No, I'm kidding. Uh, these are people who continue to serve actively. They are intentionally going, I want to take on a posture of service towards my brothers and sisters. That's leadership in the church. Um, but they are not there to serve or be the only servers in the small group. Any disciple of Jesus is called to be a servant of others. And so if you just saw your small group leader stand up, guess who you're serving as well? Everybody who comes into that group. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What will matter most about our week isn't going to be the program that we run on Sunday, but the relationships that we tend to during the week, the Christians we gather with for prayer and encouragement and fellowship and discipleship. That is where life together happens. All this will mean that we see community not as something that serves us, where we get what we want, where we get fed. Even that consumer language, right? People say, well, what are you, what are you I'm, I'm church shopping right now because I want to get fed. This is not how the Christian community is meant to be formed or shaped or the environments. It's meant to be an environment where it's a place where people come to serve others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he, during the, he was a, a theologian and pastor, and um, he eventually died a martyr um, in a really scandalous way of potentially a, an assassination plot on Hitler. Um, he, he ran an underground seminary during the Nazi regime in Germany. In German, Germany. And he, um, he gathered with this small group of ministers to help train and to work together. But more than that, they met regularly and lived together, uh, and they really leaned into the idea of let's learn how to do community in a discipleship one another way. And he wrote a book out of that called Life Together. Some of you may have read that book. Um, and it's just a, it's an exploration, a classic, the t- subtitle is a classic exploration of Christian community. It's a great book because it's all of his insights. You think about living in an underground church, right, persecuted by the Nazis and intentionally trying to form a discipleship community where you're living together. The insights that come out of that book are phenomenal to the Christian life. But this is what he had to say about, whoops, about community. If you can give me that slide, the second slide to the end. He says this. A person who loves their dream of community will destroy a community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. We are not building a megachurch. We're not building a church to attract consumers of personal faith. 
We're building a community of those who love those around them because we're trying to be disciples of Jesus. Those whose faith is integrated into all aspects of their lives, embodied and deeply connected to others in love. And so we too must learn to live life together and learn from Jesus how to love one another as he has loved us so that we can be that kind of people who put on display in that love for one another, the discipleship to Jesus, which is meant to be on display the kingdom of heaven come to earth, the new creation, the good news. As we go into this season, brothers and sisters, and those of you visiting, I hope you join us for our small group season. We have an opportunity not just to go get some good teaching or to have something else to do during the week when we're not having midweek, but to build the kind of community that Jesus came to call us to, to have the kind of relationships that Jesus came to model and to teach us how to have. And he says to be blessed if we'll accept that invitation. Let's take his invitation. Let's do that in our small groups this season. Have a great day. Have a great Sunday. Mm -hmm.